are listening to History Man, a project of ekbarnes.com, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. On today's episode, we are fortunate and excited to have Dr. Brooke Bauer, the assistant professor at USC Lancaster and a citizen of the Catawba Nation. Welcome, Dr. Bauer. Thank you for having me. What is this building that we are in? We're in the Native American Studies Center. It's... um, part of the University of South Carolina Lancaster campus, but here we have several galleries where we show um, Catawba pottery, uh, other South Carolina indigenous artwork. Uh, We have one gallery that focuses on the period before European arrival. Um, We have special collections where, where we have over 1,300 pieces of pottery. Uh, We have archives where we keep documents and photographs um, for students or the public to come in and do research. It also holds the university archives. And then we have uh, five faculty who have their offices in this building. Well, it's a wonderful little building, and uh, if you're if you're into uh, Native American studies, uh, and you want to swing by and take a look at the Catawba, which which had a, such a integral part in the uh, fight for freedom in America, uh, come and, and take a sneak peek into the lives of the Catawba Indians here. It's a wonderful place to come to. It is. It's beautiful. And we have uh, we've spent a little bit of time. We've spent uh, a couple hours here last time we came here, and uh, I want to thank you so much for for the facility and and the way you've laid it out. Uh, Everybody was just so welcoming when we came here. Yeah, well, everything, this whole building, the layout, the idea for it was before I became faculty member here at the university, but they've done a wonderful job. So for our listeners, I know we want to get to a point where we talk about the Catawba Indians in the Revolutionary War and the, the, uh, the roles that they played there. But in order to do that, we, we really need to do a background on the Catawba Indians themselves. Yeah. So let's just uh, turn it over to you and, and let our listeners know a little bit about your nation, the okay. Catawba Nation. All right, that sounds perfect. Um, the Catawba Nation, the nation itself was created out of upwards of 25 different um, Siouan-speaking uh, tribal groups in the North Carolina Piedmont and in the South Carolina Piedmont, so around the Catawba River uh, water basin. So when you say Siouan speaking, uh, for those people who were into Westerns, are you talking about the Sioux Indians as well? No, I'm not. Um, I have chosen to drop Siouan speaking and use Catawban speaking. Uh, because it is a very specific language. Um, And to date, I haven't found any commonalities between Catawba and the Siouan language of the West. So Nakota, Dakota, Lakota, and those tribes. I haven't seen any uh, commonalities between the language. But these 25 smaller groups, they were hit hard by disease. Northern Indians 
were raiding these small villages, taking the women and children. Um, of course, when you had European arrival, that's when disease hits its hardest. So their numbers were decreasing, declining, and a lot of these groups just didn't have the military power to protect themselves. So they eventually end up joining up with the Catawba's ancestors known as the Iswa Indians. And that means river people? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so how far did that, when you said northern tribes came down, yeah. I have a friend of mine who, who lives in Winsboro, and I lived in Rock Hill, and I was north of him, and so he called me a Yankee, right? <laughs> so Rock Hill is actually in South Carolina, still in the deep south. Right. He's in Winsboro, South Carolina, you know, an hour below me, right? Yeah, but right. he calls me a northerner, right? Right. When you say northern tribes, what, what are you talking about? I mean from the northeast. Right. So... As far away as where? From the Ohio River Valley, uh, from the area around New York. Um, so Northern Indians was, the term was used by a lot of colonial leaders as a collective term. Um, these Northern Indians, they could have been Mohawk, they could have been um, Shawnee, Delaware, Potawatomi, Ojibwe. So it could have been any of those tribes that were from the North. And colonial leaders in the North called Catawbas the Southern Indians. Um, so that's how that worked. In his book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, Jared Diamond uh, talked about the influence of uh, European discoveries in North America, Juan Pardo and, and, mm -hmm. uh, and, and his trek up in DeSoto and their treks up through the Southeast. In some cases, they were just on treks of discovery, but what they left in their wake was germs yeah it was it decimated those those tribes that they documented and they would go back years later and there was nothing left of them right so is that what you're talking about yes okay i am talking about that period um in fact disease these epidemics would be a problem for a lot of the southeastern indians including catawba up until the early 1800s um, the last severe epidemic that Catawbas experienced in the 1700s was around 1781-82. So right there at the end of the American Revolution. Right there, but that's right there in the midst of the Southern campaigns yeah, of the American Revolution. Exactly. Right? So, exactly. And uh, and I know that smallpox swept through both camps, uh, you know, the, the British camp and the Patriot camp, mm -hmm. including the Catawbas. So how far, I mean, you said it was a conglomeration of a bunch of different tribes that came together to form the Catawbas. How far did their land span? Well, in one uh, colonial document, it's uh, from uh, the North Carolina colonial documents. The governor is writing the board of trade, the North Carolina Royal Governor is writing the Board of Trade in Britain and he says specifically this is around 1750 that the Catawba's land stretches 30 miles in every direction. So if you were to take 
the center of the Catawba towns at that time, which was near uh, downtown Fort Mill. And you go 30 miles in every direction. To the north, it would go close to the Yadkin River Valley. Um, to the east, it would go to the PD River. To the south, the Congaree River. So it would be below the Wateree River that are that we have today. Um, Were the measurements off a little bit? Because it's a little further to the Congaree from from Fort Mill than thirty miles. Right, right. Um, and those these are just guesstimates. I see. I see. Yeah. So when he writes that, he's because not saying he, he, he had a surveyor out here surveying that no, land. No, he didn't. He have is a he is looking at the maps that are crudely drawn mm -hmm. and saying this is this is the estimation of what it what it goes to. Right. Okay. And right. he knew he knew where the Catawbas had their boundaries. Okay. Although they, these boundaries were not surveyed in the European way. Right. They marked their boundaries with streams, piles of rocks, marks on trees. Um, and so Catawbas and Cherokees and other um, native groups, they knew where the boundaries of their land I existed. See. Well, we even today still call this the Catawba River Valley. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, I mean, and that's not by happenstance, right? No. It's right. not. There were some Indian wars with the colonials when they came into uh, America, the Yamasee War. Right. Right. And all, it was a uh, confederation of different Indians that got together and they said, this isn't right. We need to push them out now before they get too powerful. Right. Right. And yeah. The, I mean, a lot of um, the tension around the Yamasee War, the outbreak, was because many of the colonial traders... Um, the local Indian groups like the Yamasee, the Cree, the, even the Catawba, they had debts that they owed with these colonial traders. And what those men were doing was taking women and children captive, enslaving them in order to pay off that debt. So if someone comes into your house and takes your wife or your daughter or son, Somebody's You're going to go after them. Somebody's <laughs> going to have to pay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. Exactly. Uh, but during the Yamasee War, the Catawbas didn't stay with their confederation, did they? No, they didn't stay with the uh, Confederation of South Carolina Indians. Um, and this was what years? The Yamasee War was in the early 1700s. Um, the Catawbas withdrew... One, because they were running out of ammunition. They were also running out of trade goods, other trade goods. And the trade exchange was really important at that time. The Cherokees ended up going on the Catawba's behalf um, to Williamsburg to appeal to Governor Spotswood that... The Catawbas wanted to come back and be friends with the Virginians. And so was the, the Yamasee War was against Virginia? No. Okay. No. But Catawba had 
the Catawbas had a, a playoff diplomacy, whereas some of the larger tribes in the southeast played off the three empires of Spain, France, and Britain. The Catawbas, their playoff diplomacy was more localized. They played off South Carolina, North Carolina, and Virginia against one another. Um, so they had a long-standing relationship with the officials in Virginia. And Governor Spotswood, he said, okay, you know, we'll start up, restart trading with Catawbas, but all the chiefs have to bring their children here as hostages so they can attend the school here in Williamsburg. And uh, the chiefs ended up doing that. They took, up, took 11 children up to Williamsburg. Um, the children were taken into the fort and the fathers, they encamped outside the walls and they were set upon by northern Indians. And most of them, not all of them, but many of them were killed. Many of the Catawbas were. What happened to those 11 Catawba children, we don't know. Um, there's nothing so far that's been found in the record to say if they maybe got sick there, maybe they died there, or they returned back to their families. No one's been able to find anything specifically on what happened to these 11 children. During that period of history, and, mm -hmm. and people just disappeared. Yeah, people just disappeared. They went on, they went, they were put on a boat and ended up in Barbados, no records or anything. Well, in, yeah, uh, and in, that's important to, to keep in mind is because at this time, the Indian slave trade was huge. Yes. And so it's possible that those children could have been shipped off to the West Indies. Okay, so we're, we're moving forward here through the 1700s. What's next? Well, the Catawbas get involved in one of the Imperial Wars, the Seven Years' War. The French and Indian War. Yeah, also right. known as the French and Indian War, although that name is kind of a misnomer. It is, isn't it? Yeah, because it completely leaves out the British. So you, if you're not familiar with that war, you think it's the French fighting the Indians. But this is the war where you see Daniel Morgan and you see George Washington and you see a lot of these heroes of the revolution yes. are, are fighting alongside of the Catawba, I believe. Mm -hmm. Catawba were actually on the, on the British side at that point, yes? Yes. Right? Yes. So they're fighting alongside of them in the French and Indian War. How did they end up there? Well, it, the governor of Virginia at this time during the Seven Years' War was... Um, a gentleman named Governor Dinwiddie. So Governor Dinwiddie has been, had been appealing to the Catawbas to come into the Ohio Valley to fight along the Monongahela River um, at Fort Duquesne, help them fight against the French. Well, while Dinwiddie was appealing to the Catawbas the South Carolina Royal Governor, James Glenn, was saying, no, you need to stay here, protect your women and your children. Because during this whole time, Catawbas are being hit left and right by enemies across the Northeast, across the Southeast. Um, so they did feel 
the men felt a need to stay home. Plus, it wasn't really their battle. I mean, this was about uh, British colonists fighting against the French. It was a land contest. Who's going to own the land? And, you know, I think that Catawbas and other Indian groups of that period aren't given enough credit in terms of being intelligent enough to understand what was going on. So we were talking earlier that the Catawba Indians and the Cherokee and, and maybe some other Indian tribes were matriarchal in the way they, the hierarchy of the tribes, which was in vast conflict with the European countries, right? The mm -hmm. European nations. Uh, so how did, how did that decision that the Catawbas would not be involved, how did that happen uh, on a tribal basis? Well, there's no evidence to say whether women appealed to the warriors not to go. What I think happened is that the men are concerned about the women, the children, the elders, and they do, do want to protect them. But it's around 1758 that um, 125 Catawba warriors end up going to Fort Duquesne. Okay. Um, they had been up there previous to this, and this is when King Hakler's son was killed. He was murdered, uh, shot by one of the French soldiers. At Fort Duquesne? At Fort Duquesne. Is that right? Yeah. And so this 125 warriors, they're going up, back up to Fort Duquesne to get his body and to seek vengeance. And there are newspaper documents that where the locals are talking about this huge party of Catawba warriors coming through. Um, so from there, they stay uh, involved. They participate in uh, the French and Indian War. They do lose men in the war. Women did travel with war parties. I was going to ask you, you know, like when you, when you talk about the Patriot forces and the British forces, you always had this train of women that would wash the clothes, that would men, you know, mm -hmm. do some cooking and do, do the normal things and be there with their husbands or their boyfriends or whoever, just yeah. helping out. Yeah. So did you're saying the women of the Catawba did yeah, the same thing? they did the same thing. So we're not talking about 150, we're talking... A small number a of women. Okay, all right. Yeah, um, and sometimes they got caught in the crossfires. Mm -hmm. There is a, a one uh, account where there are two Catawba men and one Catawba woman that were approaching Fort Duquesne. Um, so I'm assuming she was also, she was part of that war party. But they were all three killed by the French Indian allies. So this might be interesting to some of the listeners. Mm -hmm. So can you describe the dress of the Catawba Indians maybe in how they uh, were different than some of the other tribes? I know that, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Catawba Indians had a, a nose ornament. Yeah, they wore right? what we call a nose ring. And... Uh, there was, there was something that I read that they had taken in some flathead people or something like that. Where that, that was the uh, wax, were the waxhaws mm -hmm. flatheads, mm -hmm. right? I'm yes. not, I'm not too far off of this. No, thing. You're not. You're doing uh, okay. very well. All right. So, so 
describe for the listeners a little bit because you know we are so tied in this society tied to hollywood and their mm-hmm. depictions of indians right 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 uh, and you know you see the the mohawks and the the apaches and the you know you know all these other tribes are, they all have a different dress or whatever mm-hmm. and so tell me what was unique about the Catawba indians in their dress well the some of the main things that you just mentioned um they wore the nose rings it either had the ring either had a small tinkling bell on the uh, hoop or it had a heart on the ring a lot of indians in the southeast wore these rings so is there a significance to that well catawbas are more often documented as wearing these rings okay they like to to accessorize they wore ribbons they wore feathers they you know over time by 1754 their white neighbors are starting to surround them not fully but the population has definitely gone up around them so they've already started adapting to the european way of dress they might wear the men might may have wore some linen shirts but they still were wearing deer skins especially to protect their legs as they're doing this long distance traveling the men typically wore what's called a clout or they call it a breech cloth they were also the men were well known for tattooing themselves so i know that the cherokee had different tribes within our different different clans within their tribes mm-hmm. the turtle clan you know, or, or whatever. Were there different clans within the Catawbas and would they tattoo themselves for these different clans? There is no written evidence that we had okay. clans, but it would be very unlikely that we didn't. Right. I mean, we're surrounded by other tribes that base their social structure, their kinship on clans. The fact that it's not written down by European writer doesn't necessarily mean that we didn't have clans. Was I reading something the other day when you talk about the written word and, and, and a lot of the history of these southern southeastern Indians are tied to Europeans written word mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the written word coming out of the Catawbas or the Cherokee or whatever. Sequoia I think did the Cherokee Indian language. Mm-hmm. Uh, the written language for the Catawba did not come about till this past century. Is that right? It came about in the 1890s. 1890s. Yeah, when ethnographers and anthropologists were all sent out across North America to collect all this data because they thought Native Americans were vanishing. We're still here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was really first written down in the latter half of the 1800s. Sorry, I went down that rabbit hole. That's okay. (laughs) Okay, so they they would tattoo themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, and one of the most familiar tattoos for a Catawba warrior was a snake. And... um, Any particular snake? It was just a tattooed snake. Okay. Uh Wasn't like a copperhead or a rattlesnake or a black snake or... Well, all they had was the gunpowder to do these tattoos with, so they wouldn't have been anything colorful. So the tattooing came about after European influence with the the gunpowder? I'm imagining that there was other dyes used before Europeans. I can't say 
for certain. So is it, is it speculation on your part? It's speculation okay. on my right. part. Very good. All right. But the the snake was the most well-known. Uh, there is a drawing by John Evans in 1756 of Captain Redhead. He's uh, one of the war leaders among the Catawbas. And based on that drawing, you can see where he has tattooed lines on his face. All right. The other thing is that uh, Catawba women were known for putting um, natural red dyes in their hair, um, mainly at the scalp. And that was a symbol of a higher rank within the tribe. We're getting to the end of our first episode here. It looks like we're going to have several episodes. But let me ask you this. The Plains Indians had the teepees, yeah. right? The Cherokee had longhouses uh, up in the... Uh, the mountains of North Carolina, and then down to the lower towns around Seneca and uh, Greenville, that area down there. Mm-hmm. What uh, what did the Catawba have? The Catawba had uh, what is commonly referred to as wattle and daub houses. So these would be built with um, tree posts, and then what was in between those posts in the walls they would pack clay mixed with straw. Like pine straw or something like pine that. Pine straw, reed, whatever grasses, was, whatever was grasses, available. Yeah. Whatever was available. Okay. And that would help that that clay mixture hold better. And the tops of the houses also had cane to cover it. Would they live in villages or were they isolated uh, in? They lived um, mainly in small villages, kind of similar to British hamlets. So they were relatively small. How many of them there were there? Well, in, in the, the seventeen. In the seventeen fifties, there were six towns. One town had fifty warriors. And so you'd have to do the math there to account for the women and children. Just a big guesstimate at that point. It's yeah. about 150 in that one town. Okay, all right. So these are relatively small. Okay. It's nothing like what you think of when uh, you hear about the Aztecs. Okay. Or you hear about Cahokia, which had anywhere from ten to 40,000 people in it. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I'm looking forward to our next episode. Yes, I am too. Thank you.